I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode, where we watched Greta Gerwig's modern-day classic Lady Bird from 2017, and we give our initial reactions to the Academy Awards, which just happened uh, just hours before we recorded this conversation. Lady Bird is currently streaming on Netflix. You can check it out there. We'll cut to our conversation already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. My my hottest Oscar take is that it's a shame that our Twitter doesn't have more followers. I agree. I I, I think I'm probably <laughs> the only like on most of tonight's tweets. But such I, a bummer. I thought you. I think I thought you had great things to say on there. There were a, there were a couple good ones. Yeah, mainly were. Francis. McDormand being a slam poet or possessed by a slam poet. Yes, and yes, she was. She the was word great. is the sword, and I like to work. <laughs> I like to work. Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> anyway, thanks for this. Bye. Uh, I also really liked. All right, I'll bite. What is a mink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I was happy. To, I was happy to see Mink getting some Oscar love tonight. Uh, yeah. Okay. First of all. 2021 Oscars. Yes. Very weird. Very, okay. How did you feel about the ceremony? I At first, it felt a little bit more vulnerable than normal because all yeah. the lights are up. And yeah. Because you're, it's not crowded, you can't really hide. Yeah. But then it just started getting a little sad. And, like, like the way it looked in there yeah. was reflective of the... Uh, the zeitgeist that intensifies every year that people don't really care about the Oscars. Yeah. I, you know, you know like it, the, the it, theater was beautiful, but it's just like these like couple of TV screens and like uh, no one cares. And it's almost like it, it's not a good look for them to be so raggedy with the Oscars. You know, it was kind of like once the, once the sun went down and you didn't get the natural light coming into the building, it looked like everyone's really poorly lit zoom calls. Like anyway, it it was just, it was especially when they played the one like skit game that they did the whole night, which was like odd. Cause they only did one. Cause they only did one. But like, so he's going out into the crowd and the crowd and it was just like kind of dark and dull looking. Uh, but just odd. But I, I really liked, I really liked that. I felt like every the the winners got a lot more space and time for speeches, right? And they weren't rushed off ever. Nobody was rushed off, and and it they. I mean, I thought they were really nice. Um, I really liked Thomas Vinterberg's uh, acceptance for another round for foreign language film. Um, <laughs> His was funny. Is like, why'd you give it to us? <laughs> but to white guys, it, yeah. I mean, it was this like kind of funny, irreverent kind of takedown of his own movie. But then also, he he had the space and time to share that story about his daughter who passed away just yeah, days into from production funny to very intense. Which quickly. is which honestly is kind of seems Another to be round. his style in that movie. Yeah. Yes. Um, but just like that, he like because that's not the best foreign language film. Typically, that winner is not someone that gets a lot of time to mm. make a big acceptance speech. And you know, with the exception being probably last year with Bong Joon Ho winning for Parasite, that was you know he was going to go win a bunch of awards the rest of the night. Um, the king. And so I, I just felt like there was more space. I really liked how they did some of the presenters too, like Laura Dern and the other actors got to well. I, 
not all of them. Joaquin didn't have much to say about anybody. Uh, <laughs> oh, what a way to end the night on a picture of somebody on a non-speech. But like, that was just terrible. If they knew yeah. he was going to be there, they should have given it to someone else. Well, I, I mean, I, my assumption is, I think this is kind of the general consensus was everyone was expecting Chadwick Boseman, Boseman to win. So you yeah, close the get, show with okay, that. Okay, sure. That's a picture too. But... The energy and spirit, of but I think him. it would have been his wife because she was expect his widow was ex- accepting all the awards on his behalf like this whole season, and her giving that celebratory speech in honor of him that would be a good way to end it, or or, or even the room celebrating his yes. life yes in that way, <clears throat> and instead yeah. you get this like kind of some applause and gasps that Chadwick did not win and right. uh Joaquin accepting it on Anthony Hopkins behalf. <laughs> How many has Anthony Hopkins won? Um I think it's only a second. Um his first being uh, Silence of the Lambs. Really? Yeah. Um uh, I mean and like I, it's like you know it's kind of funny because um I, yeah, to second Academy Award. It's kind of funny because The Father is the only of all the best picture nominees that I haven't seen. Yeah, me too. And, Except for uh, Trial of the Seven, but I yeah, don't really care about that. So uh, sorry, listeners. <laughs> the Father's the only one I haven't seen, and I've heard just great things. And honestly, the trailer looks like uh, it looks like the movie is a lot in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I know it's going to be great. I just yeah. won't pay twenty dollars yet. Yeah, um, and so you don't want to begrudge this guy for winning. It's just like this, you know. It's this just hilarious thing of. Uh, you know, and of course, of all the people to win, it's Anthony Hopkins who couldn't even be bothered, not couldn't be bothered, but is just, this isn't his thing. And so he wasn't even at the London satellite venue. He's like literally the opposite of Chadwick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you have like, you, you have, you know, poor Gary Oldman who is hanging out in London at 4 a.m. London oh time. <laughs> knowing he didn't get it because no, no one's standing by the side with the statue. Knowing, That's the thing. That yeah. one guy that did win, it's like... Yeah. He, the statue's there with him, but but also like Gary Oldman knew he was never gonna win for Mink. Like there, yeah, there was so Mink got no love. But he, I mean, it got some love, but not. Uh, yes, um, yeah. those were the bigger surprises for me. Was the not not the art direction award for Mink, which I kind of expected and was glad to see yeah. that because I I think it was so good. But the cinematography that really surprised me. I you thought Nomadland? I thought Nomadland had won that award in a lot of other places and. Mm. And I think, you know, they're just doing that. I think that. it was the right move. The the Mank one. I agree. I think the Mank yeah. is like the technical achievement. Yeah. Uh, that movie's amazing to look at. Yeah. Uh, what they accomplished in terms of emulating a look. Um, Nomadland, like really, it's an extraordinarily beautiful movie, but it coasts on the power of the magic hour. <laughs> yeah. Nomadland feels like maybe some takeaway youtube shows remember those takeaway shows that it would be like handheld um videos of a band doing a live song somewhere beautiful oh sure yeah and it, it was like a trend in like 2013 yes yes you know, yeah like kind of had that energy throughout the whole movie yeah and or or feel to the cinematography even and like and we, i mean we've talked a lot about nomadland but to that movie's credit it's one, it is beautiful, and it really does, I think, serve the story and narrative of the kind of just, you know, wandering ethereal nomads. I mean, it all works, but I think make I think is I'm a just, technical yeah. achievement. I'm just more interested. In yeah. The, it, the uniqueness. 
that Manx bringing to the table. Yeah. But, yeah. Overall, so okay. Yeah, it felt like it was. It was a little. Did, did did you get the sense that it like the the Oscars, the Academy Awards being the most prestigious event <laughs> of the year, for it to feel kind of raggedy was just not a good marketing. Yeah, like, it's, it's not hard, a good right? look for them because that is in a, terms of sustaining that like level of prestige. You know, because you're right. This is supposed to be the most prestigious thing, and it's a tough deal to. It's always hard um, to bring in like a comedian or a set of comedians to like lighten things up at the Oscars. Like it's it always feels at odds with what the whole thing is about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a choice to not do that this year, a year plus into a global pandemic, and really just kind of lean on we're celebrating these people who are winning. I was I mean it was it was odd because they I. I like the like montages of movies from right. the past year, movie like history. Clips. Show some clips. Yeah, I mean there was nothing like that. So I liked the space that winners got. I liked the way like Laura Dern, for example, uh, she had spoken to each of the nominees. Just nice words uh, uh, about their performances. Right. And and wasn't uh, it odd though the like how different every award was in terms of yeah whether they're going to speak directly to them or just read them out loud or yeah. some they show a clip like best picture yeah like walking like, phoenix walking phoenix who absolutely did not want to be there uh <laughs> says nothing about the nominees laura dern goes on and on like laura dern is trying to get daniel kaluuya's attention from across the room to say nice things to him which is like it's nice right. um you know i like you know what bong she's the best i know laura dern's amazing i like what bong joon ho does where he um you know he he had asked each of the director nominees a question and then reported Mm. their responses like that was a nice thing so there was like neat touches like that and um the space for that but it just didn't feel i don't know it didn't feel as like a celebration of film uh in the way that it often does yeah and even the memoriam it was so weird oh, because the, it was they weird. have this the song. song playing that is so upbeat and like, like a groove. It's like this is, and they always do the thing where they randomly speed up like <laughs> sections of it where it's like the person you can't even read their name. It's so fast. Oh my gosh! It's like yeah, we don't care about these people. And it was but, hard. It was hard too, because normally the in memoriam is played in front of a full theater, and so you hear the reactions to the people, the, the mm-hmm. people actually celebrating and honoring through applause or whatever. And and there was just none of that, and so it felt like there was just a distance uh, all all around. There was a distance. Um, but I, yeah, in in general, I just don't think it's a good look for them moving forward. Because you you want to sustain people's like sense of uh for for this night mm-hmm. i feel like to yeah. like e- even to be like oh, man this is a big deal like it's the most prestigious everyone's yeah just decked out you know like to to keep people's interest and and therefore kind of keep the that night and the whole award season like as a thing of value yeah to movies yeah I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. I I I uh, really liked and responded to a lot of the um, the winners. I think it, it, uh, you know not the most shocking of nights until the very end. I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, and the Chadwick Boseman Anthony Hopkins thing is crazy because it was like 
there was no question that Chadwick had this in the bag for and has for months. Um, but I, you know, I really loved seeing Yoo Jung Yun win for Minari. Yeah, that I was mean, great. And she's so good in that movie. It just, or even Emerald Fennell with best with, the, with the best screenplay. Yeah, there, there was like a lot of love spread out over some good movies. Yes, it's that rare year where there isn't a single movie. Um, the, I mean, the most winning movies um, was uh, obviously Nomadland, but it only won three. Three. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sentimental won two. Yeah, Sentimental won two. Uh, the Father won two, Adapted Screenplay, and um, Best Actor Mank won two. Um, yeah, so just kind of a... Um, Minari won, Promising won. Yep. Yep. Chicago Zero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, what, one, two? Um, oh, yeah. Best Supporting and Best Song. Soul, one, two. I mean, like, all around, it was yeah. everybody. And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom got two um, for costume design. Which I design just watched and, last night. Did you like it? I, I like uh, movies that are plays. Yeah, me too. You know? So I liked Fences. I know he's yeah. doing August Wilson's, uh, what was it, collection? Catalog. Yeah, or I know he's got 10 specific stories. Oh, that yes. Focus on. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, this, you're talking about I, Denzel as a producer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm pumped about. Yeah. Especially if he keeps doing them. Yeah. And, and I think Viola Davis is going to star in every single one of them. She's insane. <laughs> She's insane. She's in that insane. That, you know, when I think makeup won for that or costume. Yeah, it was design. costume design and makeup. And I was like, I was like, heck yeah. Uh, yeah. Because spot on the way that she kind of transforms and inhabits that role. And it's not like an over the top makeup job either. It's just, right. It's just kind of, it's the character. It's just a messiness to it. I love the, they, they had talked about uh, what the, the costume designers think about. And they specifically called out um, the winner, Ann Roth, who had done the costume right. design. And, and the line was something like, you know, this Ann Roth thinks about Ma Rainey and what does she do with her clothes at the end of the day? They go back into a closet or does she throw them on the, the floor. And that's how she begins to think about the wardrobe. And it's like that, oddly enough actually comes across in the film <laughs> right i netflix was pretty smart about their uh for your viewing yeah what, what's that like for your consideration for your consideration to the academy because they did some special features for some mm. of their movies like ma rainey yeah there's like a half hour special features almost like a dvd which oh is cool. that's cool that's it's yeah, so it's, cool that netflix is starting to do that yeah, and so Denzel's talking about it and talking about August Wilson, and mm-hmm. but they talk about the costume designer and they, they, uh, Viola was saying that she in that tent scene where there's a hundred extras, mm. the the costume designer is talking to each extra and giving them very specific like reasons behind every choice. Oh she's my making. gosh! Yeah, like the type of cloth and when it was made. It's like wow, this lady is that's incredible. Level. Yeah, so I was stoked to see her win. Yeah, um, but yeah, overall it was it was. Like I liked seeing the the spread of love. Me too. And, you know, and and there was nothing uh, that I felt like was oh like oh come on yeah no, nothing that I felt like was a mistake. I mean even even Tenet's win for best visual effects was like yeah that's good like right. uh, fair enough <laughs> hey 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 fair enough <laughs> uh, uh, yeah it's just a it was a nice nice night. Don't know that it was executed perfectly. 
Um, and, and I'll say this. I said this to you in a text message as we were watching it. The biggest shame is that because, so, you know, they didn't end with best picture like they normally do because presumably they want to do the big honoring of Chadwick Boseman at the end, which they didn't even which get, they, which, they, which didn't. they didn't get. And if they had ended with best picture, then the Academy Awards would have ended with Francis McNormand accepting as a producer for Nomadland and then inexplicably howling on the stage of the Academy Awards. Talk, she's losing her mind. <laughs> talk, no one knows what she's talking about. <laughs> I love no. some of these, these award speeches where they assume everyone just knows the inner working. <laughs> like, they, oh, they get what I'm talking about here. Oh and they're connecting it to the movie and the work I'm doing outside the movie for the movie. Cut like, to... No one knows what the sword is <laughs> no, that you're no. referring to. Cut to her husband, Joel Cohen, of the Cohen brothers, sitting there, not, like, annoyed about his wife howling on stage, but just, like, not interested. <laughs> He's like, right, I'm here. This is great. And this is Fran. I love her. She's my wife. Uh, that could have been the end. It would have been great. Another funny moment is Chloe Zhao saying, and now Fern. She's like, yes. I'm not Fern, I'm Fran. <laughs> she was genuinely... You know wait, what, though? I, you know I was acting, right? No, you know what I'll say? That really felt like a specific thing for Frances McDormand because so she, the, on stage they had two of the nomad actors, two or three, right. Swanky and then the other woman. Uh, so all the Swanky sightings at the Oscars were great. <laughs> And, and it felt like Francis McDermott saying, no, no, I am not this person. Those people are here. No, I know. I want to honor that. them. It was just like, could you be a little less awkward? Like yeah. the director saying yeah, Yes. For, yeah, that was awkward. Oh, yeah, we get it. You have the role. Um, one of the things that I, that I just kind of triggered um, a memory as I was watching tonight and Frances McDormand winning Best Actress for the third time, which is insane. She's just so good. Um, I remember when she won a few years ago, 2017, for Three Billboards. And one of her big things as she was going around, and she was just cleaning it up that year, one of her big things was she was going to she was making a vow a promise that um her writer for her contract she was only going to work on film sets where there was like a 50 51 percent plus um of the of the cast and crew were women like she Mm. she was going to really go out of her way to make sure that she was going to be working on crews where women were you know as um represented as men and Mm. I, and the reaction at the time was like, oh, that's great, but like, that's not a reality. And right. here she is, just a couple years later, winning that award again on a movie that is directed by a woman uh, right. who won Best Director, only the second woman to do it, and the film wins Best Picture. It's just a. Uh, right. The, I, I heard that on Twitter. I didn't realize that she was the second woman to ever, ever. win second Best Director. Ever. Yes. That is mind-blowing. Yes. And the first is Catherine Bigelow, who directed The Hurt Locker. And oh, wow. Which was only like 10 years only ago? Only 10 years. Uh, it was 2009. I rewatched it this weekend. That movie's insane. But, um, and, and that, even... That's amazing. And even like kind of, I, you know, that movie, the, the kind of weird gender dynamics of that is that Catherine Bigelow is a woman who directed this like just straight up war iraq war movie <laughs> like uber masculine yes i mean there's a single female character in that whole movie who and it's she has like three lines or something right right um 
Like what she had, what like <laughs> well, yeah. what kind of movie had to win? What kind of movie does a woman have to make to win that award? And you know, right. twelve years later or whatever, Chloe Zhao is doing this very, I mean, this it's a movie centered on a woman, um, right. surrounded by women um, in these you know supporting characters. Uh, just a, a great, great job, Nomadland. Like super right. excited about that. I was like secretly hoping for like a Minari shocking surprise. Because uh, I have a lot of yeah. affection for that movie, but I, I you know, yeah. either I, way, I could have done a different best picture for yeah. sure. Yeah, so uh, Sound of Metal um, and Minari. Sound of Metal, for some reason, is the one that I'm thinking about the most often. But I've been thinking a lot about that and Minari. They and they both have kind of more uh, emotional. Uh, yeah. uh, get, get me more emotionally. I, I recognize what's happening with Nomadland, but um, yeah, it was good. So. Well, speaking of the a perfect segue into which who should have been oh, who should have been the second oh. the second female to win best director. Oh, uh, excellent we've got segue. our episode. We've got our episode for the week. This week we watched the incomparable 2017 Lady Bird, directed by Greta Gerwig. Directed a by national it. treasure <sighs> who must be protected at all costs. <laughs> and I'm looking straight at you, Mr. Baumbach. I don't trust that guy, frankly. <laughs> I, you know, listen, I see Marriage Story. I see Squid and the Whale. I don't trust this guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so, you know what? I trust Greta, so okay. Gre- Greta Gerwig could make anything. Um, so... We're talking Lady Bird. Um, Mitchell is talking about Greta Gerwig, who wrote and directed. And Lady Bird, Lady Bird was her directorial debut. Um, she'd been making movies for about 10 years at that point, acting and um, writing. writing um, wrote some movies with her partner, Noah Baumbach, um, who's a director in his own right, an amazing filmmaker. Um but this was her first kind of solo project. The the one the big one before that was uh, Frances Ha that she had helped write um, and starred in. Then she stars in that and also has some Which Sacramento ties. Which is a fantastic ties. movie. Great movie. I I, I love that one. Um, but we watched Lady Bird. We were talking last week about kind of the reason why we were going to watch Lady Bird. Why now? It's Oscar weekend. And we wanted to, I don't know, we're calling this our Oscar redemption. Oscar redemption. Which uh, is going to be an annual tradition. Call it right here. Uh, <laughs> it, Where we go back and redeem history. Yes, we are uh, rewriting Oscar history. This, uh, it's, it's hard to say, right? I, I'm just thinking about... No, it's not. N- not right now. Not for this episode. Uh, it, it's like... Shape of Water? Okay. I will my say my octopus teacher. Uh, God, don't get me started on my octopus te- teacher because I, I watched Shape of Water Part Two. Okay, we're not talking about this year's <laughs> Academy Awards anymore. I'm I'm so annoyed about Best Document. That's that was my least favorite award was my octopus teacher because Collective and Time are two of the best movies of the last year. It's insane. Uh, okay. Yeah, but this guy gets to know an octopus, <sighs> and it reached out and it. T- okay, who cares? They're buddies. Um, who cares? So. We're talking about the uh, 2017, uh, the uh, 2017 year in film, um, the uh, Academy Awards, uh, The Shape of Water won Best Picture, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro won Best Director, but Lady Bird was nominated for um, five categories for Best Picture, Best Director, Greta Gerwig. Uh, best Actress for Saoirse Ronan, Best Supporting Actress for Laurie Metcalf, and Best Original Screenplay. And it was completely... I can't believe it. What won Original Screenplay that year? 
Get Out. Okay. It was a brutal year. year. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think Lady Bird takes it though. Like the the movie of Get Out is is great, but as far as like a unique screenplay and like like I know I'm already jumping into this stuff. Go with, for it. You know, interrupting your context, but man, after watching this and having watching watched Little Women multiple times over the past couple of years, you you really like for me. Gr- the strength of Greta Gerwig is her command of language and 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 dialogue. How people talk and how it overlaps onto each other is is more real and true to life than than most or any I can think of, frankly. And what is so great about it is that it is not this kind of exaggerated version of that either. I, I mean. It, it really feels like this is the way this family would talk and interact. And, and in Little Women, it's different. It's not like what I think about like someone like Aaron Sorkin who is like, oh, we, people love the Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Well, you watch The West Wing, you watch The Newsroom, you watch Sports Night, you watch you know one of, the, one of his movies. It's all the same kind of cadences and rhythms mm-hmm. where Greta, the, the rhythms of Lady Bird are very different than the rhythms of Little Women. And and, and right. To me, it, it she demonstrates such a such a command of each of these two separate worlds, and she can can play differently in them because they need to be different. It, it's uh, it's incredible. And the other thing that really struck me in watching Lady Bird was her command of pacing a narrative. Yes. Because if you had asked me, I've seen Lady Bird like five times or something. If you had asked me yesterday before I rewatched Lady Bird, how long is this movie? I would have said, oh, it's about two hours. Mm-hmm. It's a tight 90 minutes, but she packs so much into this. I mean, it's a 90 minute movie and she packs so much into wow. it. It doesn't feel like a 90 minute movie, does it? No. Yeah, she like th- there was I was constantly surprised at the things I had forgotten that happened. Yes. And the characters and yeah. moments that are jam packed into this thing. And, and like most movies I feel are lucky to have like four or five of those moments, you know, and like, God, just hitter after hitter of, of like, yeah, just, just like, it's so funny too. Yes. And from, from, from the jump. Yeah. And she knows when to like, I mean, obviously the famous opening is yeah. maybe Bird you know, jumping out of a moving car at 60 miles an hour. But it's like the cuts. Mm -hmm. She knows when to cut at the perfect moment to like get to the next thing. It's like, we get it. We're moving on. Yes. Here we go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that, well, I just, we can maybe wrap up our segue in the Oscar conversation. It's a tough year. 2017 is one of those years where I look back and say, this was a, a, an incredible movie year um, because it, it had Get Out. I'll just focus on these three. It's Get Out, yeah. Lady Bird, and Phantom Thread. And and I love Phantom Thread. I think Phantom Thread is uh, such a special and, and an, an incredible achievement for Paul Thomas Anderson. It's not his flashiest movie. I know this is in the Phantom Thread pod. We'll do that in a few months. Uh, <laughs> but it's not his flashiest movie, but it, I think it's just a, a, a director... Uh, who's at a mature, more mature stage in his career, who's just got complete control of what he's doing. It's Daniel Day-Lewis's yep. last performance. 
I think supposedly, supposedly, hopefully not. I'm like praying, hopefully praying not. someday he just comes out of retirement and surprises us all. Um, but I, I love that movie. It's just a, the crazy thing is I feel so bad about the awards that year because the the winners were like The Shape of Water. <laughs> and No one has watched that movie <laughs> since 2017. No. And you had all of this, like, I love Frances McDormand, but I don't like Three Billboards. I didn't even see it. Uh, uh, you know, Gary Oldman wins Best Actor for doing his best uh, Winston Churchill impression. Ugh. That's the thing, man. Like, the three movies you named, Get Out, Lady Bird, yeah. Phantom Thread, I've seen all those many, many times yeah. since 2017. Yeah. Because they stick with you. Yeah. It's like, it's so surprising. I mean, not so much this year, I guess, but or Parasite even, but yeah. when people have such a lack of grid or radar for what's going to stand the test of time. Yeah. Looking at you, Green Book. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, and that's a that's an insane one. Yeah, that we we could do that as our, our another Oscar redemption. Redemption, here. yeah, that needs um, to be redeemed for sure. Lady Bird was certainly recognized. I mean, huge huge deal for nominations, and I think I think it's important to talk about this. And I might kind of have a question for you because Lady Bird, if you had to define it in a genre, I think we would say it's a you know high school coming of age movie. And that's not your typical, I know, I know, you kind of roll your eyes like, I don't know. But on its surface, it doesn't feel like typical Academy Awards fair. Like, this isn't right. the kind of movie that comes out and, and think, yes, this, we're going to, you know, this is it for, for the awards. But it was nominated in huge categories. It won Best Picture Musical Comedy at the Golden Globe. So it was honored throughout the season. What makes Lady Bird to you distinct? What are some things about it that sets it kind of in this tier way above movies that are like it in genre or plot or that kind of thing? Well, I rolled my eyes because when I think about other movies that are coming of age, teen, yeah, drama or whatever, there's there isn't the maturity that Lady Bird has. Like, because mm-hmm. I don't, I, I genuinely don't even think when when I picture that movie, I'm like, oh, this high school drama yeah you know i mean it's really about the mother-daughter relationship yeah which is which is a relationship that i don't see explored no all that often and greta's really great at finding finding the unexplored in her movies Mm. like like even the chaotic sister energy in little women i i just i can't think of a lot of movies that are interested in that stuff yeah or exploring that and 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 pulling some gold out. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it feel, I mean, we both, I think that maybe it does subvert the, the, the genres a little bit mm. in that it, it's not a teen movie and it's not an uppity green book esque drama that the Oscars love to see. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's that indie film energy, but there's, there's just an instant, command of the material there's there's such an obvious talent in greta it's so entertaining yeah i think that's my white white <laughs> it might be throwing people off a little bit for oscar fair is mm. that maybe like best picture nominees sometimes have a reputation of not being as like relentlessly entertaining throughout the yeah. whole movie yeah isn't that weird like like yeah even with pop music it if something is extremely entertaining, it's seen as less deep. Yeah. 
less meaningful. Yeah. Like things get labeled as just, oh, that's just pop music, like as a yeah, derogatory like, term. Well, take like Coldplay or something. Yeah. Where it's like everyone loves Coldplay and then you have people who think they're garbage because they're playing on the radio, which yeah. is hey, fair enough. But it, it's it's such an odd thing, the assumption like, of, oh, this like, is palatable. Yeah. Therefore, it's it's not as, as smart. deep or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's less layers to it. Anyway, here's what I'll say about Coldplay. I remember I had a CD player, a Walkman, and Sarah just got me a Walkman for my birthday this past year. Yeah. But it's it's one of those if you like like take a step while holding it, it freaks out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I can't get comfortable listening to it. But I I, I, have, I remember having like huge like cargo shorts because I was so cool like in junior high, and like yeah. the pockets were big enough that I could put my Walkman in it as I was like hell yeah watering the neighbor's like garden one summer where they paid for me like to a do crazy that. amount of money. Yeah, crazy amount. Of, I mean, they had a an acre that a no irrigation built in, but I would like carry around this big yeah. Walkman <laughs> listening to like who knows what stupid switch one. <laughs> Was probably a Star Wars soundtrack or something. <laughs> yeah, same. And I had the it was the headphones where it was like the the back. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot yeah. out the back instead of being on top of your head. Yeah. Anyway, that's important detail because I would fall asleep listening to it, and it's like <laughs> prinking my neck as I'm sleeping. But I would listen to X and Y. It had just come out. Yeah. I would listen to that while I'm falling asleep <laughs> with a Walkman next to me. So there, there's some special Coldplay memories, yeah. and that has nothing to do with uh, art or pop culture or our uh, view of of that stuff. But it's no, 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 you to get Here, to know me, no, listeners. Let me connect it because there is a Star Wars episode one. No, Lady Bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will explain why in a second. <laughs> Lady Bird has Lady Bird uses a pop song. Can we will we say it's a pop song? Yeah, yeah. Ladybird uses a pop song. It's one of my favorite favorite needle drops in any movie ever, and the way that they use it. So it's it's uh, Crash. Is it what's it called? Crash? Just Crash? Yeah. Crash into me. Crash into me. Dave Matthews Band. It it's so pitch perfect because it's shout out Andy Carhall, the guy that does our theme music. He loves Dave Matthews. At first, ironically, and now it's unironically. <laughs> so. I love that song. I don't care. I mean, I'm a product of being close to. You Is know, that album cover not just burned in your brain? Oh, yeah. That blue and red, right? Like, oh, yeah. yes. Every and, dad on the street <laughs> had that album. <laughs> and she uses this. And, and part of the point of using it is that it's like this kind of overplayed pop radio whatever alternative yeah and like lady bird and her friend are like crying to the song when her and her boyfriend break up and then you know there's a scene late in the movie where she's driving not to prom with her new boyfriend and he's like i hate this song because he's so cool and he's you know really he's a socialist yeah he's into (laughs) anarchy and he's just like it's that I can't like anything popular. And, you know, for this section of the movie, Lady Bird would have gone along with him to impress him. But she says, no, I love this song. And and that's how I feel about Lady Bird. I mean, I think this movie is so good. But, like, this is just the top-tier quality, like, pop movie making. Yeah. That's mature and just so in command and I think has a a lot to say. I think there's some exploration of themes like you had said mitchell that you know aren't necessarily explored 
often in I just I love this movie. Yeah, me too. I I originally cuz you know, we're on the letterbox always gave it a four and a half and then I'm like, why am I holding back on this thing? No. I'm over it. Yep. You know, I was wa- I always whenever I watch a movie, I watch some YouTube videos and read some reviews yeah. of people's thoughts on it. And some of my favorite people are like, this was fine. And I, I don't I don't I don't get it. You know? I like, agree. What are people looking for in movies? <laughs> where they're like, oh, it's tropey where she, you know, goes along with the cool kids and ditches her original best friend and then she goes back to her realizing that you know, it's better to be not cool and have your real, you know, it's like, sure, but that, but it's not, that's part of, part of the problem with it, tropes is it, that they, they're, it isn't, isn't it's like it? cliches. Because, because like if it ring. really was just that trope, then she would like also end up with the guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the kind of, if it, if it was like the coming of age romantic well, it, comedy thing, it's like, it's so not about. It's or not that, about that. Yes, that's what I was going to yeah. say. A, a, a lesser movie, the entire, the climax of the film is prom. And all of the story threads are right. leading up to the big dance. And right. which is so refreshing about Lady Bird. Which, yes, and, and, and she does that. Because it's not that. Yeah, she does that throughout the entire movie where you have all of these different little, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's episodic, but you have all of these little moments and milestones in the year of a high school life that a different movie would build up to the big dance or the, the school election. I remember watching the trailer for Lady Bird and thinking, oh, it's going to be about her running for class president. <laughs> right. Like, that's two minutes at the beginning of the movie, and they drop it, you know? Right. And and they don't lead up to those things because, because that's not how life works. Our, right. our high school senior year is not uh, leading up to and resolve itself on prom night. <laughs> right. No, I think it's a good point. I think you're giving language sign that I didn't, I wasn't, like, consciously thinking about. But looking back, that's why it's it's a refreshing experience ladybird because it, it is so not focused on he- the pinnacle moment yes and you're just getting flashes of everydayness yeah and it kind of honestly maybe this is a weird comparison this is a very weird comparison i've never thought of this before this moment but but i remember some people complaining like there's not much of a plot to ladybird um which is like very Hilarious. much, very much the complaint that people would lay against Mad Men, the TV show. Like, there's no plot in Mad Men, and and it's, it's like, like shut. Up. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I don't understand that at all because I think and I think part of it is we we people gotten, would rather watch a bad plot than watch characters. <laughs> well, yeah, and and we've gotten so conditioned to. You know, the the, t- the TV analogy is like we've, we're, we're conditioned to say Breaking Bad is the best thing. And because it's I like Breaking Bad, but that the plot in it is so tightly wound and everything is so precise that what you're watching for, I think is I think Breaking Bad is good because it's more than just its plot. But it also has that as, as the mm-hmm. center of it. And or, or, you know, it's the MCU thing in the movies where we're watching because we need to find out what's happening. And that's not, I find what, it that's not what Lady Bird exhausting. does. I find yeah. it exhausting because it, it's a similar thing with music. Like when those great concept albums, like mm-hmm. one of my favorite albums of all time is To Pimp a Butterfly from Kendrick Lamar. Mm. But I don't go back to it so often as I'd like because 
one, it, it demands a lot of time and attention yeah. and, and emotional investment, especially if you're gonna stick with the story throughout yeah. the whole thing. And so I, I love, and um, the reason I say that is because like you brought up the MCU, it's like I don't wanna have to like see every moment to yeah. be able to hang with the next thing and the <sighs> next person and why this is meaningful that this person showed up in the credits. Yeah, It's like, it's not interesting, as interesting to me to ha- have the the world of the movie be revolve around this this idea of a plot. Yeah, one of Not the things- an idea of a plot, a plot. But I like characters. Yeah. I like I like a mood. I like a feeling. Mm. I was, yes, a feeling. One of the things that really stuck out to me. So I had just been talking about the the just kind of the way the narrative, the way she structured her narrative to kind of not be about these big milestone quote unquote events that a, you know a lesser movie would do I, I've kind of felt that way before I've noticed that before but rewatching it this weekend I they're I, there but she's undercutting them. yes yeah I mean it's because it's it's a year in the life of a high school senior you know um, but watching it this weekend one of the things that I really felt was uh, the fluid nature of the of the narrative just from cut to cut to cut I, I think especially right after it's maybe the opening credits or after the opening credits you're just thrust into the beginning of her school year and it's like cut to spanish class cut to this cut to this and uh not a lot of plot is happening but it's all it's all just okay well now we're in ladybird's life and we're getting these right. moments and they don't even necessarily seem to hang together um other than their moments of her of her high school year, and I was trying to like really put my finger on how I was feeling about it and what I felt like I was observing. Because what's so interesting to me about the movie is that it has all of these different threads, right? Her, like her dad, her dad's job, and her relationship with her dad and her mom, and then getting in the waitlist in the school, and then these kind of mini episodic things. It's the musical, and then the cool boyfriend, and all these different things, and. Uh, it almost to me felt more like a looking back reflection on a time in your life of like yep. all of these different things that I was yep. going through and experiencing. And then I started reading some interviews with Greta Gerwig and that was exactly what she was trying to achieve. She wanted the movie to feel like a memory of a time. Wow. And That's so good. She specifically worked with. She's so good at nostalgia. I, yes, she is. And it's. I mean, Little Women is the same thing. But but I love that you say that because it's not cheap nostalgia, right? right. It's it's not. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, there, there's not a lot of like pop culture in the movie, right? Right. It's not nostalgia for specific. Um, like it's not the specificity. It's it's like like when I say that she does have the milestone moments, but then undercuts mm-hmm. them. It's like. Yeah, prom was not at all yeah. led up into anything, but mm-hmm. it really turned into a great night with a friend. Yes. And the great night with the friend is the thing that anyone has nostalgia for. Yes. Even if it's not on prom night, you know? I, oh, yeah. And and I th- what I'm what I was saying is that she creates these moments of nostalgia that are so effective without like cheaply using things that are nostalgic markers. 
exactly you know like it's 2002 what was big in 2002 let's let's cut to i mean you got to current events the iraq war started in 2003 it's whatever. not like it's not like pokemon cards in the 90s or something yeah it's not like we're we're watching ladybird watch episodes of american idol <laughs> right you right. know and and so and i read she even worked with her cinematographer and then later and in, in the editing to increase the kind of noise and film grain in the picture okay i was i you know we watched re okay rewatched later yeah. this weekend and then me and sarah both watched ma rainey's black uh -huh. bottom the day the day after yeah and immediately i'm like this movie it technically looks really good but mm. the, the look of it is also bothering me and it's a look that a lot of movies have nowadays mm -hmm. where it's like so shiny yeah and so perfect yeah and so not flawed and even the flaws are like pinpointed perfectly there and it i, I was try, trying to compare it and like even movies that come out around the same time like phantom thread does does not like obviously and ladybird are modern movies yeah but the, the look of them is it's so it, different it, than other things yeah it feels more real like kind of lived in and so, sometimes the, the like like ma rainey as an example or something like a I don't know, probably because it's similarly supposed to be Chicago or New York, like a Fantastic Beast or something. Oh. It's like, the, it, it's like, it, they might do a technically good job of making a city look like it's in a certain time period, mm -hmm. but it, it also at the same time feels almost soap opera-y in the HD. Yeah, I, I, I don't think know. It's a, I the, think there's a sheen to it that doesn't feel right. I think what we're seeing. And, and we've been seeing this for a while, but it's this wave of um, CG and green screen being used in movies that they weren't used in 10 years ago, 20 right. years ago. Right. And so you have these smaller like dramas that 20 years ago would have been unthinkable to be like, oh, we're going to shoot a bunch of Viola Davis in front of green screen. Not that they did that with Ma Rainey. I don't know what they did with that. but uh, Probably a lot of the city stuff. Yeah, the yeah. city stuff for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, we're going to shoot this in front of a green screen and where that used to be reserved for like people who are doing big, like sci-fi and fantasy or, you know, comic book movies. And now it's just everywhere because it's easier and it's cheaper than right. going on location or building the sets and that kind of a thing. But, and that's why Quentin's movies always look so good. Yeah. Because it's all, like, we're, we're going to shut down LA yeah. and like bring in all these old cars. Yeah. But that, that's interesting that she pumped up the grain mm -hmm. on certain moments. Cause like a good example of the nostalgia I'm trying to like, or where I yeah. feel like we're trying to articulate is when she sees uh, Timothy Chalamet's character. What's his name? You knew I wouldn't know. Kyle. His name. Kyle. Second when boyfriend. They see his his band for the first time. Oh at my a gosh! Shop. That that it cuts to that. I I gotta tell you, I, I I confess I watched this with my wife, not by myself after she went to bed. But we're so bad at the premise. I cut that because it, it's like Thanksgiving or no, it's Christmas, right? She has her like Christmas oh. morning with her family, and then you can taste the Jack in the Box already. Oh no no, that was that was that was Thanksgiving because she's with her first boyfriend Danny, and it's like should I explain why I just said that? <laughs> I, I was I'm gonna let you in just a second. All right. All right. Um, you know, it's it's Thanksgiving. They're at the Thanksgiving meal, and then cut to this like cold winter in Sacramento. Not that cold, but you could just feel that it's cold. Coffee shop that it's late. Like everybody got out of their family dinners for, and the so it's warmly lit. Uh, yeah, and and it's and dimly lit. And the music that this band was playing was just so like 
pitch perfect 2002 like oh yeah like i went to a small concert at my church and heard a band like this pretty cool (laughs) yeah but that scene like kind of similar to the friend hang after a dance where it's like you might not have that specific moment but me and sarah were talking about this coffee shop that was near our college that um would do just friday night um open mics but usually they would have like small bands or yeah you know guy and acoustic guitar is usually terrible but it's the same exact feeling yeah you know of like let's go just check out this like packed in coffee shop and the movie's powerful to me in that of all these moments that i can insert my memories yes. into even though it's totally not like what's actually happening yeah. like or even getting accepted to a college and and checking it out for the first time yeah and feeling isolated or feeling like, yeah. oh, you don't actually know me, you know? Yeah. You know, you had mentioned Jack in the Box. That was our tradition in high school, Thanksgiving. Right, that, that was our Thanksgiving tradition. Thanksgiving yeah. tradition. Because they're open. Yeah, well, because our family would eat Thanksgiving dinner at 1 in the afternoon. And then, yeah. you know, 7 o'clock. Not lunch, yeah. not dinner. <laughs> no. Uh, in 7 o'clock, you and I would be hungry, and the only thing open in Elk Grove was Jack in the Box. <laughs> But that feeling of like the celebration with my family is over, but it's still the holiday and I have the day off. What can we go do? It's kind of cold. It's getting dark earlier. Christmas is on the way. Yeah. You just get inundated with nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so like, there's so many moments in Lady Bird that do that so naturally. Yeah. It doesn't feel forced or it doesn't feel like what you said is connected to a specific um, piece of culture. Yeah. And so, and it all is kind of feels filtered through your memory of the thing. Right. And and that, I think it's amazing how effective and subtle that is, what, what she's done with, with the her The lighting team. is probably warmer in my memory of that coffee shop than it actually was. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we, so we love this movie. We talked about uh, a lot of the kind of ways it effectively... Um, tells this story and and the way that it's more mature and different and unique. I want to talk about something we haven't talked about yet. And and, and the thing that I am constantly worried about uh, that is a bias that I have, that this is a Sacramento movie. (laughs) Right, right. And we are both uh, from Sacramento. Yes. I I mean, there, there are so many shots of things in this movie that I know so well. Images, street signs that I know so well bridges and and i want to i'll tell this story i guess right now because so ladybird came out in the like late fall of 2017 and that was at the beginning of megan my wife being in africa for three years she had just been there a couple months i was home we we weren't sure what was happening i was kind of like down or whatever and i was and why was she in africa for three years we were we're finishing the adoption of our son and, and now they're home and that's great and it's amazing but at that time it was hard and we didn't know what we were doing and i was like i was basically anticipating living by myself for a, a couple of months not three years and this ladybird movie was coming out and i was aware of it i knew it was a sacramento movie and i like could have seen it at the theater that's in our neighborhood or whatever but i was like well i'm by myself let me drive downtown and go see it at our favorite movie theater tower theater in sacramento i'm like i'm gonna go see it at tower so i go by myself and and sacramento's only like art house yeah art house independent independently owned and operated kind of theater and 
Um, and it was like opening weekend. It was like a Friday night and the place was packed. Like everybody was out to see. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I will, it was one of the most unforgettable movie experiences of my life. I mean, that title card at the beginning, the Joan Didion quote about California hedonism, you know, anyone who speaks about California hedonism has never been to uh, Christmas in Sacramento. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like the theater is already howling with laughter. (laughs) Right. And then not 45 seconds later, Lady Bird's mom is saying, your brother saw someone get stabbed outside of Sac High. (laughs) (laughs) all of our moms <laughs> every mom in elk grove to roseville in unison <laughs> and and then of course you know late in the movie i think it's the prom night scene where she she gets dropped off uh greta gives us um this montage of just kind of different sacramento sites at night and landmarks one of those shots is the neon marquee of the tower theater and i was sitting in that movie theater watching this with a packed house i mean people were cheering right losing their minds, losing their minds like it was avengers endgame <laughs> that's us that's us baby <laughs> And Yo, everyone goes to gunther's ice cream after which is like this shot next. yeah the next shot the, ne- the neon gunther's thing yeah the crest theaters there I've, I've been to concerts at the crest like oh my gosh and and so this is a sacramento movie like through and through and i love that movie ex- movie going experience one of my big regrets is that megan was in africa and we didn't get to do that together mm-hmm. um and and the sacramento stuff just still i know it's there i know what it's it still hits so it's almost haunting isn't it oh yeah it's incredible i mean especially for us having moved yeah every time we watch it it's a it's a bit of a gut punch Mm. and we had a similar experience where we saw it at tower it it was more of like a matinee middle of the day sort of thing but it's still that same pride oh yeah of like when there there was only like you know 10 other people in the theater but it's still like yes yes like the eruption of being seen yeah being known a little bit and having a shared experience and i want to talk about it i bring it up because i I don't. I think objectively, this is a great movie. I think it helps mm-hmm. that it's a Sacramento movie, but I don't think that it's Sacramento. I think I was really racking my brain this weekend of what are the other movies like this that so specifically exist in a city that's not New York or L.A. You know what right. I'm saying, or or a major city, like well, and has a great deal of affection for the city. Yes, because. Greta, what I find like baffling about this movie, I'm like, this was hugely successful, nominated for all kinds of awards. I mean, Lady Bird was a big deal when it came out. It was at Mm -hmm. one point the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes because it had the, and the metric was it was like some huge number of reviews, 100%. So it was the, it was the, the, the 100% movie with the most reviews attached to it, right? It was a big deal. So people, Everywhere in the country loved this movie. And I'm watching it, and it's the reference to Sakai. It's Lady Bird's like weird disappointment that maybe she'll have to settle for UC Davis. <laughs> right. it's, which is where you went to Which school. is where I went to school. Come on, Lady Bird. It's a great school. Um, it is, you know, um, the walk around the Fab 40s, the Fab the 40s, neighborhood. Like, like the way that they talk about the Fab 40s, it's uh, her friend, the the rich friend, um, 
Jenna, right? Yeah, it's her rich friend Jenna says, "Oh, we would go to my house, but I live all the way in Granite Bay." Like, and we're in the theater just died. Yeah. Laughing. Oh, we were dying yeah. laughing at that, right? That's where rich people live, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's where Eddie Murphy used to own a mansion. By the way, um, really, really, Eddie Murphy Good house. For him. Yeah, um, and like it's so specifically constantly so specifically about sacramento and and i'm like what other movie does this and right. and and do i just not notice it because i'm not from those places so that's something i'm, I'm kind of asking myself but but part of me is like I, I don't think so i don't think there are that many movies that are affectionate love letters to cities in the way that this movie clearly is to sacramento right or at least cities on the same uh like 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 i don't want to say fame but size reputation reputation, yeah yeah like i feel like most movies that come to mind do not have the such a positive outlook on a city yeah it's almost like the city is a character that causes pain or sure yeah or it's nostalgia but in a negative way yeah to escape it yeah But that's what I'm. I'm so curious about people who don't live in Sacramento or have lived in Sacramento yeah. and how they experience this movie and if it, it like the nostalgia that we're talking about. Yeah. If they're having that for their hometowns, and yeah. I'm sure they are because of the universally positive. Yes. You know. And, and I think I think that's what is so great about it's it. Pretty because fascinating. It, because Greta gets so specific, and that's why it becomes this universal thing. We talked about this with Minari. That Minari mm-hmm. is such a specific experience, but we were both affected by something that, like, we had no connection to this story. Right. But it was so specific, and it becomes this universally relatable thing. Right. Um, the empathy machines of movies. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about, like, Spike Lee's Brooklyn in his movies. Like, mm. he has such an affection for Brooklyn. And, right. And not New York City, but but then you know right but brooklyn itself and that comes across in his movies and that may be the closest thing i can think of um right. and i had i had read somewhere that greta said in an interview recently that she's she would like to do a quartet of four sacramento movies oh my god i would lose oh my, my mind gosh i'm ready see well, what what is what is the feeling that we're sharing right now <laughs> like what is the feeling that makes the tower theater erupt yeah of just being recognized of having this community of like yes i am part of something you know christmas in sacramento like i know what that is and we're all so excited about it you know do you know no i am I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated by that uh like the spectacle of that i mean i think part of it is um cities of a certain size i mean these are cities that are known like Sacramento, like most people in the country know of Sacramento, which is right because it's the state capital. Right. Like you had to you had to memorize the state capital, so everybody has some some has some memory of it lodged in their minds. But then you know it's that great moment at the end when she's in New York at uh, college and the guy asks her where she's from and she says Sacramento and he says what, and he, and she has to pivot and say San, San Francisco, <laughs> black. Uh, I know. And everyone from San Francisco is like, really? (laughs) Well, it's like unthinkable for us. We're like, well, that's, you know, an hour and a half, two hours away. Like there's nothing, there's no connection. Like, um, but, but I I think, you know, it's a city of a certain size, mid-sized city. 
Um, it's a state capital. People know about it across the country. And, and I think it represents a lot of cities in this way, but that have basically no real reputation, um, mm-hmm. no meaningful reputation um, beyond maybe a sports team. And ours sucks so bad that that hasn't been relevant for 20 years. I just think, I think it represents a city that is just not, doesn't feel appreciated. And even, even like, even like the people in the city, like I, I I think so many people relate to Lady Bird of like, I, I'm so desperate to get out of here because I don't fit in Mm. and there's no culture and all of that, you know, culture is always somewhere else. Yeah. And the nun who says to her, you clearly love Sacramento. That's, that's the line. Right. And, and she's like shocked by this. What? No. And, and she, but you write about it so affectionately in this, you know, college letter. And, and so I think even Lady Bird's journey with it's, the city is so. It's one of the best lines when she's like, oh, I just pay attention, I guess. And the nun's like, isn't that the same? Yeah. In a lot of ways, love is yeah. paying pay attention to something. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yes some good lines like that in this movie yeah i mean they're really sobering well speaking of lines i mean i love the uh, voicemail this is the last part of the movie the voicemail that lady bird leaves mm-hmm. her mom when she's in new york and she said that it i mean it's stuck with me ever since i first saw the movie it mom did you get emotional the first time you drove in sacramento mm-hmm. and and then it's this montage of roads that i've driven on that I know, right. I know as well as Lady Bird does. She says, right. "I know, I know these. You know, been writing on these things all my life." And I'm like, "I know that intersection. I know that turnoff." Like, right. And I, I'm like, "Yeah, I, I love driving those parts of the city." And right. And and I just, I think there's a reality of like, you can want to get away from home really badly. Right. But I think I think most people still have some deep affection for something about it and there's still and, right. and if not affection then at least nostalgia yeah it's like what is nostalgia though you know it's like your day is just or your life is just made up of a bunch of days yeah a bunch of days of driving those roads yeah and so i know for us having moved like watching ladybird there's real love for the past and a real sadness about it too yeah. of Maybe feeling like like you're known in a place, and then when you're removed from that place, you feel mm. less known by people. Even so that you know, however known she was, right? Or even like you know, when she comes back and like, or it, even in that theater at Tower, it's like, yes, I know that place. I know mm-hmm. that bend in the road. I know that yeah. ice cream shop. And man, people. Uh, and I'll speak even just for me, I like hungry to be known. Yeah. And a city, a, a, a lesser talked about city to all of a sudden put that up on the screen and people just freak out. Oh yeah. It, it's a interesting phenomenon. I think it's great. I think, I, I think there's also, um, I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak enough about, um, the performances in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the two, the two leading women, um, Lady Bird and her mom are just like Ugh. extraordinary. Lori Metcalf so good. is so good in this movie. <laughs> it's insane. And, and, and both of them whiplashing between 
anger and tenderness mm-hmm. and guarded mm-hmm. in the same scene. Yeah. In like lightning quick turns. Yeah. Yeah. It's know? that scene where she's looking for a um, Thanksgiving meal dress at the thrift store and they're like bickering mm-hmm. and then it's like they pull out a dress oh this one's great you know like they they like the, shift do you love so it? naturally and then it's back to you you're know, so just, infuriating yeah oh yeah um but but i i mean i just think there's a there's such a th- this is a really part of what stands out so i had seen this Saoirse Ronan had said this in an interview where she purposefully wanted to not wear a lot of makeup in this role because she wanted um people to see a teenage character who actually has acne right <laughs> and and it's like oh yeah she does and oh yeah she doesn't look like that in her other movies like right and it just it's just a part of inhabiting this role because Sharon's mm-hmm. been acting in movies long before Lady Bird and she's you know this Hollywood starlet and right. she shows up in Lady Bird with this kind of you know her half dyed you know, weird haircut right. and she's got acne and um, you know I kind of think about um, have you ever seen the election election with Reese Witherspoon. No. Um, Reese Witherspoon's at the center of this movie. And she's like a high school girl, and it's like Reese Witherspoon, and you know everything is picture perfect about her, right? Right. And it feels so um, not realistic and not approachable. Um, and it, it, right. the movie itself is a little over the top, and that might be part of the point. I, I think it's a fine movie, but um, Lady Bird's like, oh no, there's so like. Everything about this is weird. Lucas Hedges is so good in this movie as the first boyfriend, Danny, as like very awkward, you know, high school boy who goes to an all boys school who doesn't really know how to hold his body. Right. (laughs) And and like there are plenty of like dumb high school centered movies where they have 30 year olds playing the high school students. Her, Her best friend crushes this role. Oh, yeah. Beanie Feldstein. When she's singing for the audition for the school play, oh my god! I I was watching the special features because I have it on Blu-ray. Yep. What's up, physical media gang? I have the and, special features on my digital copy too, but okay, fine. whatever. I still shout out physical media gang, and uh, she was talking. She met with the wardrobe person. Was like, all right, what what is this girl wearing? And she like they have these like plastic glittery clips that they put in her hair, and it's like there's so many. Honestly, I was watching the special features, and what Greta like pulled the talent that she pulled on, mm. and from the cinematographer who she she's been like she had talked about her love for his work and all these movies that she grew up watching yeah. even, and then same with the uh, the the composer for the musical score. Mm. She like always loved his work. And then there's there's like behind the scenes footage of, he, she's like, oh he's an he's a night owl, so you know we'd be in his studio and they cut to him in the studio with a bunch of musicians and the producer, and they're talking about the the sound you know mm. that she wants for the movie, and she's like it's three a.m. and she's like yawning and you know and like mm. and then it cuts from him those those first kind of steps of of generating ideas to him leading his orchestra like his band of wind instruments yeah and it's like man it's amazing any movie gets made ever i know i know the 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 collaboration collaboration creativity it's unbelievable you know and 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 for someone to have a vision for all of that i know 
and it actually come together. I know. I can't. It's amazing. Yeah. The fact that this many people can work together and create a product is like and this. And that it's good. And, and not just people, but like artists. <laughs> right. Like right. there's so much ego that goes into this stuff. It's, it's incredible. So Shape of Water. Yes. What one best picture? What one screenplay? Get Out. Get Out. Director was Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Best actress who won that? Frances McDormand. Of course. Which movie neither of us care for, mainly because I haven't seen it. And what was the last one that was? Supporting actress. Laurie Metcalf uh, is nominated. And who won? Allison Janney. And I love Allison Janney from The West Wing. And she she wins for I, Tanya. All right, whatever. I didn't like Itania, so I, yeah. <laughs> and and again, like it's hard because I can look at any of these categories and say, "Oh my gosh, Lady Bird should have won." And I look at Best Supporting Actress and I see, "Oh, Leslie Manville from Phantom Thread was nominated for an Oscar for this." So she's Oof. Woodcock's sister. She's so good in that movie. She's so good. She's so good. They're like, "All right, let's let's pick the third, so we don't have to pick the top two. Yes, yes. Um, I, I actually but what what would be your if you could rewrite history a little bit because that's what we're doing on this episode if they, if it could only take home one of these so I would do some shuffling around of a lot of things because I would want to spread the love um, I think I would give Lady Bird original screenplay because this that yeah. feels like the right thing that's often the category that it, like it was that year it was the category that they used to honor Get Out. But I would have right. given Jordan Peele best director. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The both debut movies. Yeah, but that that's such a better switch. Uh, and Guillermo Guillermo should have just gotten it for Pan's Labyrinth back in the day. Yeah. And there's 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 so much weird we OUs. I know with the Oscars. All right, so Mitchell. Let's do our segments now, um, as usual. Uh, we're going to start with our favorite shot. I'll go ahead and go first. Um, so mine is this. It's kind of a longer shot. Um, there's a couple of key moments that I want to highlight. And I, I love it uh, just just for all of the reasons. I think the framing of it is great. Whatever direction Greta gave these two actors in it. So this is the moment. It's about 45, 50 minutes in. Lady Bird has had her first boyfriend, Danny. And um, then they break up because she walks in on Danny in the men's room making out with a guy, right? Um, and she's, you know, this is really a hard breakup for her, for, for her, you know, she's bonding with her friend over it and she's kind of trying to move on from Danny. She has this job at a coffee shop and he comes into the coffee shop to like, you know, talk to her or whatever and she does not want to deal with him. She comes around the side to take out the trash at the coffee shop, and it's a shot in the alley, and it's kind of framed from the other side of the street, and so you just get this great brick background, her coming out of this side doorway, Danny coming up from the left, Lady Bird in the center of the screen, and she is, and this is, this is why I love this this little, um, it, it's this kind of single continuous shot. So, so Saoirse plays her as kind of like her defense is up, I'm not interested, in whatever you have to say, I'm I'm still pissed at you for breaking my heart. Danny comes over to her and he just starts crying because he's distraught about the reality of 
you know, his, his sexuality, his identity, how does he tell his parents who are going to hate him for this? And Lady Bird doesn't really know what to do, so she just kind of, like, lets him, like, hug her or whatever. And she kind of holds him, and she's kind of awkward about it. And it goes on for a few seconds, and then it switches to this moment where she everything emotionally for ladybird as a character switches with danny she's no longer angry or defensive or upset with him she's now totally into like this uh, compassion i care about you kind of thing she puts her arm or she puts her hand around his neck and she holds him and it's this incredible moment and i think it's just extraordinary acting because it's so subtle but what she does this is what I this is what I see when I see this is she's playing Lady Bird as someone who has been physically intimate with this person before who has been playing the scene as if I don't want to have anything to do with you I'm going to keep you at arm's length I'm not even going to hardly engage in this hug but then when she needs to it's almost like she goes into this muscle memory of what it was like to hold this person when we were together in this relationship and she holds him and this is how she's going to comfort him and it's not like you know she does it oh and they're, they're going to get back together because that's not that's not what happens at all but it's this the 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 way she plays the layers of ladybird's kind of emotional response to danny over this like 10 15 seconds is so pitch perfect and so real and lived in and not over overly dramatic but it's that moment where it switches from standoffish to uh the kind of the shadow or ghost of real intimacy between them is really Her understanding the pain that he's in and 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 then entering into the understanding of the pain that that he is in and also like how she doesn't she, even when she switches to intimacy, she doesn't really even know how to get, engage in it because they're not, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend. They don't have that relationship anymore. But that's what—that's the experience she has. I don't—I don't know. I just—I think that is some extremely mature, subtle choices that Saoirse Ronan is doing in this scene. I don't know why she didn't win an Oscar for this. Like, this is incredibly subtle work, and right. and. And it's staged so, so perfectly. Um, my, I love that moment. I think, and it feels very real and lived in. Like that's what you would do if your, you know, ex-boyfriend comes to you like this. Like you don't, yeah. you don't know how to interact physically other than how you've done it before. Um, right. Yeah. I just, it's a, it's a great, great moment. Love this. Love this shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Um, I think my favorite moment shot, what have you, is um, it's about an hour in, mm-hmm. and I forget what causes the altercation here, but it's Lady Bird at home with her mom. She's about to go on uh, a shift as a, she's a nurse, right? Yeah. And like a she's psychiatric nurse. Yeah, and her dad is in the shot as well, and he's out of work right now. Yeah. And it's just, I, I love it. Like, it's not the most beautiful shot in the world, but the there is a lot of intentionality going on where he's at this desk in their living room that has a computer set up and he's playing solitaire, just slumped over middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And like earlier in the scene, the mom kind of like snaps him out of the haze <laughs> that solitaire causes to be like engaged. Larry, in the what are you doing? Yeah, he's like centered, slumped, and then Lady Bird and her mom are kind of 
polar opposites of the room, yeah. and they're just having a, a fight for the ages. And um, it's brutal. But yeah, it's 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 hard, and you feel the um, the biting side of their relationship. Yeah. And um, the mother-daughter relationship here, and part at, like what, what's nice about the shot is like their living room is classic, dark mahogany, uh, just out of place, like a pic- picture of birds, and like yeah. there's no like actual sense of decor, and it just reminds me of so many houses I've been, even like a grandparent's oh, house, yeah. or it to some degree our family's house, like not 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 the like. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to compare it because we did have this hallway that had a computer in it that it was yes. just like a random space for a computer to live. Yes, and uh, we had a parent who enjoyed playing solitaire, and <laughs> who may or may not listen to this podcast. And so anyway, but so their friend ups and then in the in the for in the background is that their kitchen, which is like a way prettier, lighter, more yellow contrast to the very dark browns of their living room. And uh, yeah. Lady Bird and Mom are having the standoff fight, and she's kind of saying, like, you know, how much Lady Bird has cost her because she just got ex- uh, suspended from school. And um, Lady Bird picks up a notepad and says, "How much? Like, how mm-hmm. much money have I cost you in my life that I can pay you? But like, I'm gonna get older. I'm gonna get rich. And I'm gonna pay you back everything I I owe you, so I never have to speak to you yeah. again." And her mom classic classic mom form just says you'll never get a job where you could pay me back that yeah. much money and then just in frustration she throws the notepad down yeah. like on the floor and her mom without without be like doesn't flinch and but <sighs> it, it's so it's such a nice little glimpse into um like what feels like real family life of this is the most intense argument they're in the whole movie and the dad's playing solitaire in the background like like it's undercut with the mundaneness of everyday life. So even the giant, you know, epic battle or whatever, I don't want to say that the, the bigger fights. Well, yeah, I mean, way way less concerned. Yeah. It's way less concerned with like turning that into a big moment. It's just a moment, you know, like any other moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So favorite shot. Should we move on to letterbox? Uh, cool. You you said this earlier. You changed it. Um, so you're at a five star now. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm. I'm working on coming around to being more generous, uh, liking what I like. Yeah. You know, because yeah, I was reading a bunch of stuff and like people were like oh like kind of getting in my head of why it's not as impressive, and I'm like, yeah, but I love it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that should be my criterion for a movie or you know not if it is the most uh impressive intellectually yeah yeah i think we i think we want to i find myself doing this too it's like oh this movie is really important so i better give it five stars right maybe i liked it maybe maybe liked it just fine you know i think about um, Judas and the Black Messiah was a movie that I watched and I liked. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I was really like super solid. I gave it four out of five, but I just, I didn't really respond to it. So that's kind of what held it back. But there were people, 
that mm. I'd listen to them talk about this movie and it was like, this is the best thing they'd seen in two years or something. And I'm like, oh, I just didn't, right. didn't respond. And I'm okay with that. And I don't feel like I need to bump up my personal score to conform to a consensus opinion about this thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, yeah. So that's why I went from 4.5 yeah. to 5. All right. Well, and your letterbox review, I can take a guess, but hit me yep. with it. Uh, it's five, five stars. Um, and I I'm going to pull up my letterbox here. I, it was one of my favorite movies. And for me, it's really stood the kind of test of time, um, in the four, three or four mm -hmm. years since I, um, had seen it. Um, I've never kind of wavered or anything, um, on how I felt about this movie. And it is a really kind of special thing for me, just, you know, in the, the time that I saw it, but I also it was really special because I remember buying it on digital, downloading it on my computer on one of my visits to Africa to see Megan. And I, you know, I hadn't, this was like two years later, like I could have brought it sooner, but I was like, I don't know how she's going to respond to this. If it's going to be just hard for her, you know, saddening to see her city. Um, but we ended mm -hmm. up watching it and like it was like this really uplifting, encouraging experience of like to be in Ghana and the city right. that we know so well and just like to see it. And we both just responded so much to it. Um, this is a movie that is going to, I think, hold up for a long time. And it's remarkable that this was Greta Gerwig's debut. Um, you started the pod by t uh, saying she's a uh, national yeah. treasure. And yeah, absolutely. Must be protected. Yeah. So... Lady Bird, we do our best to redeem you for the 2017 Oscars. That's right. Well, we have kind of run out of uh, steam with Oscar season coming to a close in terms of providing easy choices for our weekly episodes here. Yeah, uh, one of the things that we've just been kind of enjoying over the last few months as we've started the podcast is a season of... Uh, great movies coming out or becoming available on streaming for the first time. So now the Oscars are over uh, and we've decided we're not going to cover Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat. Is that right, Mitchell? Unless, <laughs> Unfortunately for the viewers <laughs> or listeners, I yes. should say. Uh, we will not be watching Mortal Kombat. Uh, we are still going to be trying to cover and watch the new movies as they come out that we feel like we're going to enjoy having a conversation about that we're interested in that there's going to be some good discussion um about but that is not always going to be the case week to week here so we're looking for some uh, new and creative things to do this might include some guests coming up and that kind of a thing but mitchell and i have a special thing we're going to do uh, this the next two weeks what are we calling this the movie exchange the movie swap no we should do staff picks staff picks staff oh yeah staff picks uh so yeah, so uh, what we're going to be doing is this week and next, uh, today, Mitchell is going to pick a movie that he has seen before and loves, but I have never seen, and I'll be watching it for the first time, and then we'll do this in reverse. And uh, we just kind of think it hits all of the boxes of what this podcast is. It's a great way just for us to continue to connect as brothers, which is a lot of what this has been. But also, the thing that I love about this is the joy of being able to share a movie that you love with someone else and watching them experience 
it sit and hope that they love it. Thankfully, we don't have to watch it together because it's always a really stressful thing to be watching a movie you've seen before with someone that has never seen. Like, okay, hey, are you paying attention to this important thing? <laughs> you watch the person instead of the movie. Yeah, you watch the. <laughs> they like they go get like some popcorn at the wrong moment. You're like, you monster. <laughs> oh no, we gotta pause at it. Every no, it's okay. Every Let second it play. of this. Every second of this has impacted me greatly. Yeah, and you're 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 stomping my dreams out here. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so I have no idea. I'm finding out right now. I have no idea what movie we're going to be watching this week. Okay. To be fair, Matthew has seen every movie ever. Uh, not even close. I'm going. I'm, go, I'm going through his letterbox, and good God. <laughs> um, so you know, this has been a tough one because I think most of my uh, like this is a very special movie to me. Uh, he's pretty much seen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna th- throw this out there. And frankly, if he's seen this already, then we will cut and re-record and try a different movie. <laughs> but the the different movies I have are much more challenging. So we'll start with a uh, a softball here. Matthew will be watching, and we will be discussing 1998's. Rushmore. I, I love this. I've never seen Rushmore. Heck yeah. Yes. Heck yes. yes. Come on. Oh. Okay. Oh. Uh, Rushmore of Wes Anderson fame. It is S tier, top tier Wes Anderson to me. Very special movie. It's me me and Matt's favorite Wes Anderson movie to watch together. And, Matt uh, is your friend, a, not me, Matthew, your brother. Yes. All, all the important male relationships in my life are Matt's. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, uh, no, it's a gem and I'm, I'm um, so excited. I, I am, I was shocked to not see it on your letterbox. And so in my head, you know, it, it's, it's the Quintons, the Wes Anderson's, yeah. the David Lynch that I assume everyone's kind of yeah. gone through the catalog here, but, uh, it was funny. Right. We were talking about this just, uh, earlier today prepping and we came up with this idea and, and I was like, Oh, maybe I should help Mitchell out. I almost said, I bet you could find a good Wes Anderson movie that you like that I haven't seen. And I, I was like, ah, I don't need to say that. And then here we are. I, I, here we are, I, baby. I could have even thought Rushmore. Uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled. This is a movie I've wanted to see for a long time. It's a big, you know, Wes Anderson's kind of a big blind spot for me. I'm, I don't think it, I'm hit or miss with him. I think every time I see one of his movies, I really enjoy it. It's just right. not that I think, oh, I got to really seek out the Wes Anderson stuff. So I am so excited to see right. Rushmore for the first time. I I am so excited to rewatch Rushmore. It's so good. Yes, it's it's. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it, Great. but it, it's a sweet spot for him. I feel like where he's like coming into his own, yeah. but he's also not like a, you know million millions of dollars of budget and actors. Yeah, not the the so. Uh, art direction of grand budapest hotel <laughs> right yeah. but we still get bill murray we still get jason schwartzman it's a good time Love it. all right next week we're watching rushmore is there is where can people find rushmore is it streaming on something it's it's available for rent in a lot yeah. of places it's on cinemax for, with subscription but yeah. um i'm i'm almost certain that they offer a free trial if you if you are really i uh, bet if you go to a used bookstore or dvd store you can find a nice old copy of rushmore for pretty cheap that's what majority of the listeners are going to do for sure (laughs) that's what i would do but uh, all my local record stores and video stores closed down Uh, no but but 
If I know a lot of people really like to follow along, and so try Cinemax yeah. is a free trial. Cool. Or if you already used the free trial, start a new email. And there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Which is what I did to watch the Oscars this past Sunday. <laughs> all right. In the meantime, uh, Mitchell, how can people keep up with what we're doing, track our uh, Ladybird best shots, and all of that? Uh, we are on Instagram at Movies While They Sleep, and that's really the. The place that we, yeah. I, I was, we were, we were live tweeting the Oscars, but um, Instagram is the place where yeah. most most of our actual content hangs out. And so, until we get that Twitter bump, we are over on Instagram, and uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Please write a review through Apple Podcasts. Um, a, a rating and review super helps yep. us get heard by more movie fans, and which is our, which is kind of why we're doing this. That's right. So. And, Go check uh, us out there. Share the podcast with someone. Oh, I, I didn't tell you this, uh, Mitchell. I spoke to someone on the phone today uh, that we both know who I did, had no idea is a loyal listener, listens to every episode. It's our gra- wow. It's our grandma. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling her tomorrow. And, and you know what she said? She, <laughs> she said, oh, we had watched Concrete Cowboy before you had even announced it. <laughs> Okay, Grandma's yeah, in the zeitgeist. They're on it, so uh, shout out, okay. to, shout out to Grandma. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't wait for her to hear herself shout, shout it out here. We love you, Grandma. I'll be calling you tomorrow. Hold me to it. Uh, all right, uh, great episode. Oscars season is over. Lady Bird is one of the best. We will see you. Uh, we, we we need a we need a Hall of Fame for the pod. I feel like oh, our Hall of like, Fame movies, like the the movies while they sleep Hall of Fame movies while they sleep canon. Yeah, S tier movies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I say S tier, I'm referring to the the meme of ranking. Yeah. I, have you seen these? Yeah, I, listeners, I don't know if you've seen these, Mitchell, but S tier is high tier. So you and I spent two hours one afternoon at a at a, uh, a vacation house in Tahoe ranking the tiers of Gilmore Girls characters. Which we'll be posting on the Instagram this week. <laughs> so be on the lookout for that. It's a good time. But as far as our S tiers, as far as our Hall of Fame, I can confidently say Lady Bird has a, has a spot on that shelf. That's right. And I might go so far as to say Parasite has a spot on that shelf. I would agree. The Our two throwback movies so far. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well... <laughs> Lead us out. Lead us out. We know you do it best. Great time on this week's episode. Oscar season is over. We love Lady Bird. And we will be back next week for the first week of our movie exchange, our brother movie exchange. uh, Our staff staff picks. picks With Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Have a great week. We will see you next time. Good night, y'all. Bye. Ow, ow, ow.